Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go, and newcomers to this series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 5, Episode 14, My Bloody Valentine. Let's get this show on the road for Unattached Drifter Christmas. Hi, everyone. Due to the nature of this episode, we will be discussing addiction. If that's not something you want to hear us discuss, you can skip this episode either for now or entirely. We don't mind. We just want you to feel safe and take care of yourselves. Yeah, so I guess we should start off by saying like Merry Christmas to anybody who's celebrating and best wishes to anyone who celebrates any sort of like festivity at this time of year, right? Like that seems appropriate. It's a festive season, whether... You're celebrating something that's super well-known or something I've never heard of, in which case, please let us know about it. I want to know more about cool holidays and events and festivals I don't know about. Are you ready for the recap? Count me down. All right. Three, two, one, go. We got our next horseman. We've got famine. And the entire town is just like, like hungry for stuff. I mean, the first one is very clear hunger with a capital H as um some cannibalism happens weird really oh god the most gory we've had in a while uh Cass is back for this episode he's addicted to burgers this time because that's what jimmy wants and sam's all about demon blood and dean has nothing it's so weird uh and then it's also it's uh it's valentine's day if i'm not mistaken because then a cherub shows up uh and it's he's like the most adorable character and he's just this naked like man uh and then we actually get to try to confront famine but sam's too busy with demon blood and cast too busy with burgers so it's all up to dean and dean goes to face him and famine's all like oh you're dead inside and then they save the day uh but it's super dark and meaningful and all the deaths are really sad and dark and gross time Right. I feel like this is just like the least joyful or festive episode that we could possibly be releasing this time of year. So anyway, let's stick on theme, Supernatural. So that's wonderful. Thanks. So what do we have in the long game for this one then? (laughs) Well, a few episodes ago, I don't know if you remember, but like I mentioned that we would have an episode about like devouring uh, the season and and you had like playfully mentioned Vor. Well, this is it. As soon as the episode started, I was like, oh, I see what I've done. <laughs> and uh, just to note that this is one of those episodes that we did watch with our uh, with our patrons and supporters. The episode started and I was like, oh, this is a very interesting one to watch with other people around. <laughs> I think I said in the recap, but like this was the cold open that was probably the most like gory like that was that was it was well done. Like, again, I don't love gore for gore's sake, but like when you can do it in such a way that it's like impactful. I think so. I mean, I think that they did a really cool, cool work here. And I think part of the reason why this episode is so well done is because all of the effects are practical or so many of the effects are practical. It, it stands out well as a visual episode. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um Speaking of, at the morgue, uh, Dean is the one looking at the heart. And if we remember correctly, hearts mean stuff in Supernatural. And of course, this is when Dean calls Cass and Cass literally runs to him the second he finds out where he is. Oh, isn't this the moment with the phone with the, I'm here, and he still has the phone up to his head? <laughs> 
And just Dean takes the phone and closes it for him. Or knows I'm gonna hang up now. <laughs> yes, Cass, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, love. That's that's great. You do that. Like you said, we find out about cherubs. Cupids also is a, a, a name that's used in the fandom. And he's basically this like naked goofball. So it, the, the question is like, are they all this way or is it just this one? We don't quite know. Not yet anyway. The way you say it is we're going to learn more about them or meet them again. I'm very excited because either it'll be a whole room full of them. A convention. Oh God, not again. <laughs> not of them. <laughs> Imagine all the hugs and handshakes. I could see the show doing it either way where either he is like the one-off like everyone takes it super seriously and he's the only one who's like embracing the old ways of being cupid but they can also see them doing the kind of more zany one which also could work depending on how they do the episode where it's the same actor just like green screened multiple times like every cupid is just the same naked dude (laughs) i don't know which one i would prefer (laughs) i just imagine the dean walking into the room and be like oh this guy again Oh, shit. And just, Dean, no! (laughs) (laughs) Aww. Uh, We find out some really interesting information about John and Mary Winchester, and I'm just going to read you uh, a quote from Cupid. Uh, The union of John and Mary Winchester, very big deal upstairs, top priority arrangement. And he goes on a couple lines later with, uh, it wasn't easy either. Ooh, couldn't stand each other at first. But when when we were done with them, perfect couple. And of course, once again, I'm going to tag on the disclaimer that we are strictly discussing Supernatural and not the Winchesters, especially since like we don't really know how the Winchesters is going to get tied back into the Supernatural story yet, at least because they haven't finished their first season. I think once the show is over and they've given, I'm assuming, some kind of it's a multiverse or it's an alternate timeline or space lizards did it, whatever bullshit excuse they come up with, will be able to kind of like more easily just sidestep it as we as we should. At least more elegantly, I think. But I, I do think it's important for us to to kind of like openly discuss that because like the reality is that the Winchesters is going to be like tied to supernatural forever at this point. And so like the way that they intertwine with each other is important, I think, in terms of story and narrative. So anyway, that's just a little sidebar. Uh, Speaking of sidebar, I just wanted to highlight that during the Cupid scene, we see very clearly that Cass has by lighting behind him. So when we talk about by lighting, we're talking about uh, blue and pink lighting that basically mimics the bisexual flag. It, it seems like weirdly intentional because they always seem to cut away from those lights whenever they show Sam, but they let it shine on Cass and a little bit on Dean. It's very clearly behind Cass. And then also like because Dean's position in the scene kind of changes. So like he moves next to Cass and then back next to Sam. So like he's also in front of the by lighting for a little bit, uh, but never Sam never is. So I think that that's just a, a something, I think, to, to talk about when we're talking about cravings and and hunger. Cass says that Jimmy's appetite for red meat is the reason that he's pounding back burgers. So this basically tells us that Jimmy is a part of Cass, like Jimmy is still here. There's moments where I have to go like, oh, right, like that is not Cass's body. This is a body he's inhabiting. Like it it feels so, 
I don't know. I feel like we, I'm so used to demons possessing people and like it always becomes a thing later on of like what that is, how that affects the human going as far as, you know, uh, Ruby possessing a virtually dead body so as to not actually be taking, you know, the away the the, the human inside. Yeah, the ethically sourced joke, right? Like, and I think they kind of made that with Cass a little bit with Jimmy when he takes him over again. Then he's kind of like, if like the, the implication I kind of felt last time in that episode was like, if he left Jimmy now, like Jimmy wouldn't survive. Well, so here's there's a reason why this is brought up in the long game, right? So yeah, I think that this is something to kind of keep in mind as we go forward. It's a good reminder because I feel like even myself who studies the show with you, it wasn't top of mind. So now it is. The boys now have two rings from two horsemen because they have uh, defeated famine. It's at this point I wish I prepared a parody of the poem from Lord of the Rings about four rings. And uh, does that mean Lucifer has the one ring? I guess you'll see. Now I'm actually like, wait, does Lucifer have a fifth ring? I mean, does he? Is this a captain with five rings? Now we're in Captain Planet territory. Does he have heart or lack thereof? <laughs> I don't know, but Famine has a lot of the souls. I'd also be really afraid to see what those five rings could summon. Is, is their demonic version of Captain Planet? Let's not even go there. Um, but yeah, no, two horsemen. I like that there's kind of this consistency with the rings. I was half expecting them to each have their own something. But the idea that it's rings and that Cass is aware of the rings, meaning there's kind of like a bigger lore implication to them. It, it is fueling the, the the occult passion part of me that I'm really excited to study. And of course, to end this long game with tears at the end of the episode, we see Dean praying. I'm supposing to God because Cass is with him. Right. And you know, while this is the first time that it happens, it's not going to be the last, you know, when I was watching it, like I just felt like these season one, episode nine home uh, vibes to when like Dean is calling John to ask for help and he doesn't answer. And, you know, it's funny. It, you mean, it's not funny, but I guess it makes sense that the assumption is he's praying to God. I think in the moment I kind of had like a, like I had, I had to ask myself the question, like, who is he praying to? I think that's a great question to ask. It really isn't apparent. And I mean, like, like pen to paper, God is the most logical one, both because of a, this is what you would do. But also the only thing he currently really believes in is that Cass is searching for God. So God must be out there. And God is the one that he's been told can defeat Lucifer. So like, please, where are you? So it sort of feels like maybe his faith in Cass is pushing him to have faith in God. Yes, but it feels like, and to go back to a conversation we had several weeks ago with uh, Crowley, it doesn't feel like hope or faith. It feels like that, like the equivalent of the like break glass in case of moment. Like he's literally like, I've run out of options. I don't want to do this. I don't think this will work. I think it's stupid, but I'd rather try something and fail than not have tried at all kind of thing. It's despair. On that terribly sad note, shall we head to story time where I'm sure it'll be a lot more upbeat? <laughs> Let's. Today, our theme is famine. When I first looked up the word famine, the synonyms that came up were like insufficiency, scarcity, shortage, and deprivation, which I think are like all words that are going to be helpful in understanding like what our characters are going through in this episode. 
The word originally comes from Latin fames, because I'm sure it's not pronounced fames, uh, which became fin in French, which literally translated is hunger. And for today's episode, we're going to focus on like the extreme direness of famine. So probably closer to the word like deprivation. And I think that the horseman uh, says something that I want us to explore, which is that hunger comes from the soul. Famine is an interesting one because it's so hard to do famine. I feel like it's so easy to just do like the, oh, like an episode about everyone being hungry and like, like it's it's a boring it's played out it doesn't really have room to grow so to go and i feel like even they did the research and went for more of the root of the word and went for that deprivation that like need that want i have some a tiny bit of lore actually on uh the horseman famine a little bit later in this episode so i'm very excited to share that but for now how about we get started with sam today i always enjoy seeing how the horsemen are portrayed like i was saying how especially famine and pestilence, they're like not as big as death and war. Like it always feels like they're secondary at death and war. So writing them, I feel like takes more skill. And I think the episode did fantastic. Uh, the idea of using famine, not as the usual, like hunger, as we expect, as you touched on, like it's more of desire. It's more of a want. It's more of a need. It's filling a void within you. It does kind of touch on addiction, but I don't think it overlaps with addiction fully. So I think that paints an even more dangerous path for Sam as it's not just the addiction side of the demon's blood. It's the want for power. I'm actually just going to dig into that a little bit because I think that you really like you really nailed it. Like, I think that the central question of this episode is like, what are you most deprived from and yet desire the most? And like, just to be blunt, I don't think that people drink themselves to death because they love the taste of alcohol so much, right? Like they do that because they do that because alcohol fills a need uh, that is basically otherwise unfilled in their life. And like, there's something that they crave or that um, whether that's like to feel loved, uh, to want to forget something, to want to move on, to want to numb themselves or like to just no longer feel pain, whether it's physical or emotional. It's a chicken and the egg type scenario. And if I can explain myself, if we look at Sam as our example here, there is the addiction to demon's blood and the resulting power you achieve from it or he achieves from it. I don't know. Assume that works for everybody. If it did, it'd be a really weird thing to have to explore. But my point being is that like if we were to compare it to addiction and something as broad as smoking. No one is born addicted to cigarettes. I don't think. I, I can't imagine that's a medical thing that you can be born with. You may have a tendency for addiction. You may be more likely to get addicted. But there's a reason you start smoking. And there could be millions of possible reasons for this. I'm not going to sit here and try to list or name them. But it's the getting started on it that then leads to addiction. The thing that Sam wants here isn't fulfilling the addiction. He's not, you know, you know, seeing someone drink demon blood going like, oh, I miss doing that. He he misses the other part of it, the thing that got him onto the addiction, which is the power. Well, he misses the feeling that he gets when he's consumed that demon blood. I mean, he literally gave up these amazing powers, realizing how evil they were, but also understands how powerful he was and what he could do with them. And we do see it in this episode. He ultimately uses demon's blood to get his powers back 
to be able to defeat famine because otherwise he didn't see a way to do it. And it does work. I mean, he literally used famine to his advantage to fuel himself and fight. The The reason he did it was because he wanted that power again to defeat and be able to save his brother. I, I don't think that he did it again because he wanted to defeat famine. I think he did it again because he felt the compulsion, right? Because of the the fact that famine had taken over the town. Like, I don't think that this was a, a brilliant mastermind plan from Sam. I think he drank the demon blood because it was there and he like needed it. And then he was like, I'm going to go and try to help Dean at this point. Right. But I just don't think that this was completely planned. What I meant to say is he allowed himself to succumb to famine, knowing that he could use it to his advantage. I, did he really know though? The way he does defeat famine ultimately there feels a little bit like if I'm going to be forced to have my powers back, let me at least use them for good versus just him running into the streets, killing every demon he could see and drinking their blood and going to the next demon for the same reason. For sure. It's not just the power. It's what does the power earn him? And it's the power to fix things, to be the hero, to do right and save the day. The same reason he accepted those powers in the first place and thus the demon blood. Sure. Uh, like I said, you're right. I think he would have consumed it anyways. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? For a season of being so mad at him and having trouble with him, I really felt for him this episode. And I think like if I can lay down like a little bit of my thought process for Sam, I think that you have explained that very well, that what he craves most is to feel power, to feel in control, uh, both of himself and of his life. And we've talked about that a lot, especially I think like due to the fact that Sam has been like both underprotected by John and overprotected by Dean. And then now he's being told that like, no matter what he does, eventually he's going to be put in a situation where he's going to be forced to allow the devil to possess him. And like, I think that that makes you feel like you've lost a lot of agency, you know, in a very realistic situation where that would happen to you. I think that Sam particularly must be really scared by this because like he already knows that he can make some really bad choices for some really good reasons. He can justify some, or he can try to justify some really bad decisions. That's why he craves the demon blood itself, because it makes him feel powerful and in control. Those two things are things that he's like historically been completely deprived from. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's, it's to what famine will say to Dean that I'm sure we'll talk about in a lot more detail. It's the idea that the, as you said, at the top of this famine says hunger comes from the soul. It's it's a core need or want or something you're missing. It's something that you don't just desire. It's something that is actively lacking for you. It's an unfulfilled need. And that's exactly what we see with Sam this week. But I do want to highlight, though, that like famine actively tempts him by telling him like that he can drink as much demon blood as he ever wanted and he's not going to die from it. So he's basically offering him like as much power and agency and control as he could want and he's really like trying to tempt him into doing that thing and having that thing that he wants so badly. But Sam doesn't actually fall for it. He really resists that temptation. And I think that that's really worth noting. While he understood what he was doing this time, he understood he was actively doing a bad thing and receiving demonic powers. He still understood that he could use it to save the day. He understood that he could use it to achieve his goals. 
So he was able to resist it enough to be able to turn around and fight because the reality is if the addiction had taken complete control, had completely like he had completely succumbed to it, why would he stop and kill famine when he can just go continue chasing demons and drinking them? What about Cass? Cass in a rare moment of weakness here, he's not at his full strength. You know, he succumbs to an outside force that completely takes over control. And seeing Cass weaken, it makes him so much more human, which is kind of what I think we're getting at this whole time. And yes, I'm still craving a burger after this damn episode. <laughs> I know, right? Oh my goodness. Oh my god. I've had multiple good burgers since then. And like, oh, gee, oh, burger. But it reminds us that like, though he is an angel and though he seems so powerful that he isn't indestructible, he isn't unbeatable. The needs and wants, the things that live inside of us that are so core to us that we have no real control over, even when we do have enough self-control to get away from them, they still lurk inside of us. It's a little dark and creepy to think of, but like that's, you know, there's that part of Jimmy that's still in cast and it has that much control over him when it's given this kind of like level of pull. Well, so I have a question about that because like, so at the beginning, Cass is telling us that it's like Jimmy's like, quote unquote, appetite for red meat. Let's not even get into the homoeroticism of it all. And let's just sidestep it. That's what makes him eat all of those burgers. But then later when he's in the car with Dean, he looks at the burger that he's in the process of eating. He smiles and then he goes, these make me so happy. So I'm kind of wondering, like, is that Jimmy bleeding through Cass or is that Cass's humanity bleeding through Cass? Oh, I like this. This is a good question because I'm happy with either answer a little bit. I think it's actually Cass finding pleasure in human things. I think this is just Cass, like as much as it's like in a very negative lens to be eating this many burgers. I think like I would not be shocked if like going forward we see Cass eating burgers casually because he just enjoys them now. Like if this could just be a thing that he does or like when they do meet at a deli or a burger joint or something, or like he actively chooses to meet at a place like that. So he can have a burger with them. Like as they're eating dinner and like, yeah, the excuse is I have to fit in and look human and humans eat food. But like you still ordered a pretty good looking burger there, buddy. So you think that this is a little bit of his humanity that's starting to show. This is Cass's chocolate cake, to put it in uh, other words. In words that we know from the from the show. And this is a reference to Anna. So what does this say about the thing that Cass is most deprived from and most desires? I think Cass just misses or just has a need or a want for like the little pleasures of life. Like when your entire life is so like destiny and your job and your role and like all of humanity and like making sure destiny works the way it's supposed to work. Like you're just constantly under these like pressures. You're a soldier in an army for literally God. There isn't room to enjoy the little things or isn't room to like stop and go sit in a park and watch some ducks in a pond. This is Cass. Cass's need or his want or his desire for just like small moments of personal gratification and joy. I, I there you said you said the word that like came to my mind because like if we take the the whole like these make me so happy I think that what he's been most deprived of is joy. And I think that that if you overlay that with the by lighting 
the appetite for red meat. Like, I think it's just like a, a need to explore who he is that he's never really gotten to do before. The only way this could have been more obvious and more well put together would have been had it been hot dogs. I mean, he could be wearing hot dog pants in the next episode for all we know. That's a thing I need to now consider. Let's move on to Dean. Again, famine brings out the wants and needs, not the addictions. Uh, So like negative traits that we normally associate with Dean aren't being seen here the way we're seeing on other people. And like Sam calls him out like right away on this, that he seems like not all there. And I think the fact that everyone is kind of so into the, th- the those things, those are kind of Dean like addictions, meat, women, uh, you know, the, the, sh- the, the things that make Dean Dean, even though we all know it's a mask for Dean. It makes it so much easier to see how he's avoiding them. Those aren't a need. They're not something he needs. They're something that he does to put up a character to be who he presents. You know, they are a band-aid for his literal emptiness. You know, he's given up and he's done. He doesn't want anything. He just wants it to be over with. Uh, But despite that, and that very dark reading, and what Famine says, there is one thing he is after. Cass. Like, yes, he's saving the world and Sam, but he's really really paying attention to Cass when he's in there with uh, Famine. That's true. He does look at him all the time, eh? You know, for someone who has nothing he wants, has nothing to lose, and is, according to Famine, already dead inside, he really is doing his best to protect Cass and save Cass. I think during the live watch, I even commented that Dean kind of seems like frozen in his tracks when Sam shows up. And though he has a knife and could easily go after famine and cut the ring off, he doesn't. And I think, but he's like actively standing between famine and Cass. He's like acting as a human shield. The only thing he really cares about, he's like, I don't want this to be over, but I also don't want either of these people dead. And one of them needs my protection more than the other. And I care a bit more about it in a different way. I don't know that he cares more. Like, I'm very going to be very careful with, like, the more here, the quantification. But I absolutely agree that I think he needs... I think in this case, Cass needs him more because he has a lot less powers than Sam in this mm-hmm. exact moment. I think it's a... I think you're right. It's a it's a quality versus quantity thing. There's a, a different type of love and protection there. I know that this is a Dean episode, but like, I, I really don't, I feel like I don't have that much to say about him. Like I, I keep thinking back to like Sam's line at the very beginning of the episode where he goes like, when a dog doesn't eat, that's when you know something's really wrong. But the thing is like that line is played for jokes, right? In the context of like unattached drifter Christmas. But I think that when you start looking at it within the com- context of the entire episode, especially the ending, like it's starting to make a lot more sense. And we see how much Dean is hurting at the end of the episode when he's literally like praying to God, knowing full well that God is going to ignore him the same way that John used to. When you've reached rock bottom, which is clearly where Dean has been for a while now, like I made the same metaphor before, you kind of go for those desperation moves. The fact that he's like, at a point where he's been so deprived of like every human emotion and he no longer has a desire for anything. Like it's just, it's a lot. 
And I think that that might feel familiar for some folks. So I want to talk about uh, what famine says to him about him being dead inside. Because like if hunger comes from the soul and Dean no longer feels hunger, then what does that say about the state of Dean's soul? And that's touching upon something that's really sensitive for Dean, like in terms of the choices he made in hell, right? Oh. So like coming back to the whole Dean being dead inside, like I just want to say that like, no, just because somebody is currently feeling numb because of like depression or whatever else, like that doesn't make them dead inside. Um, I kind of, I really resent that choice of word. Uh, I think it was done because this, this character is a villain, which I can completely understand. I feel like it was almost meant to be the message I wanted to get across. I agree. I completely agree. Yeah. But also I think the idea was it almost feels like there was an alternate writing to this episode where the ending should have been like no famine. You're wrong. Uh, I still have wants and needs. I just they're not things that I can consume like that. Uh, And the idea being that like the things he wants are not things he wants for himself, but for the rest of the world, he wants good. He wants peace, safety, and like a happily ever after, but not for him. So that famine doesn't only really work for him. Like, I think there kind of was another way to look at it and they just never really got to it. And they just stuck with a much darker version of it. I also feel like he's just not there yet. No, I think you're, I think you're right. I think saying it wouldn't really be there, but I think his actions still speak it. You know, if he if he truly was dead inside and given up, he would not be face to face with one of the horsemen of the apocalypse single handedly trying to take him out. There you go. And I mean, I think we also have to keep in mind that, like, the agenda of the horsemen, which is to, like, try to get Sam to drink the blood that he needs in order to be possessed by Lucifer and to try to get Dean to say no to Michael. You know what I mean? So, like, it's a whole, it's kind of a whole thing where, like, he's trying to push desperation on Dean with the whole dead inside thing and trying to push Sam to consume more demon blood. Really what it comes down to is stop believing demons. They lie and to say made up shit. Stop it, everyone. There you go. All right, let's head on over to critical time. Let's do it. Okay, who was behind this episode? Because again, Horseman episodes always love these. And as dark and as messy as this episode got, it was stunning. Uh, well, this was written by my beloved Ben Edlund, who got married recently, by the way. Really? I know. Congrats. Assuming Ben does listen or eventually we'll get to this episode. Congratulations, Ben. <laughs> Our friend Ben. Our friend Ben is listening. Fr- fr- friendland. <laughs> Our friendland. <laughs> directed by Mike Roll. Uh, I recognize the name, done a few things before, nothing jumping to mind, but that usually means I've liked your work. What's in the Hunter's Journal on this uh, Christmas Eve Eve? Man, am I hungry. Like, really hungry. You ever have one of those days where you just salivate at your desk thinking about your plans for dinner? You know, maybe you start looking up old favorites to see which is open and you know, on the way home at least, or, you know, do you go out of your way and find an old classic or something you've like, haven't gone back to because it's too hard to get to, or, 
you know, maybe today's the day you try something new, something from a country you've never been to, or, you know, see what their culture tastes like. Today was one of those days. I could barely stand sitting at my desk. I planned so many ways to eat tonight. Lunch was over way, way too quick. A good sandwich, one of my better ones, but it was a draining day and I just need to come home, crack open a beer, and relax with a good meal. Now, let the gas do its work and close your eyes. I think you'll go great with a cream sauce over some fettuccine Alfredo. I just want to say that this is not about Hannibal. No, but I felt it and I was doing everything I could to not make a reference. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, if there was ever an episode to do it, this is this is it. Oh, yeah. Looking for things to pair human with and uh, cream sauce and pasta was my go to because I didn't want to do the classic fava beans. <laughs> OK. <laughs> what would you like to share with us this week? Well, I would like to briefly talk about the human form that uh, the horseman famine uh, takes on. Because we know that there are four horsemen of the apocalypse. There's war, famine, death, and we haven't met the other one yet. But seeing as it's in all religious texts that are literal thousands of years old, I feel pretty okay telling you that the next one is also pestilence. And I think that you've mentioned him already, right? Tiny spoiler here, but famine is the only one whose human form takes the form of somebody who uses a wheelchair and an oxygen cannula. So I'm really curious about the choice to represent famine as disabled because like I was reading about famine earlier and it just seems like it's understood as imperial oppression that happens when like the cost of food goes up and workers can barely afford to feed their families. You hear something familiar there? But anyway, moving on. It has nothing to do with disability in that way, right? So then I went back to the question uh, of the episode which seems to be about basically like what is it in the characters that they try and try to fix but just can't. And we've talked at length uh, about that today. So then if the horseman famine is a physical representation of like something we try and try to fix but can't, then presenting him as disabled is like a choice with a capital C. I just finished my semester, first semester of my PhD. And like there's uh, I learned a little bit more about the models of disability and like there's different ways to like think of disability. And this strikes me like as a very medical way of talking about it. There's a researcher, Tobin Siebers, I put a reference in the show notes, that, that researcher argues that, and I quote, the medical model defines disability as an individual defect lodged in the person, a defect that must be cured or eliminated if the person is to achieve full capacity as a human being. And like, yes, as you can imagine, there's like a lot of very, very valid critiques of this model. And I think uh, Siebers is one of those critiques, right? But like, it's to kind of show that I don't feel great about the fact that they chose this physical representation of famine because it just reinforces some, some really weird prejudices that exist in the social imagination when it comes to disabled people, particularly physically disabled people. And like, it's just one of those things that I really wish that they just hadn't, hadn't done. Completely agree with everything you've said. 
But I will admit in my initial viewing of this and my own internal like comprehension, it didn't hit me that way. I looked at it as literally just a imagine someone who no matter what cannot like no matter how much they eat, they're always hungry. Like literally imagine someone who is basically wasting away due to starvation. It would make sense that they are so weak they can't walk, that they have trouble breathing, their organs are shutting down. They would likely be in this type of image. But I think the problem, though, is this episode does so much to steer us away from the classic famine is just starvation. That to then depict him as such, it feels like it really feels like they had this image of famine and go like, oh, wouldn't it be crazy if he was like old and like falling apart and like needed a wheelchair and like a breathing apparatus because he was just like wasting away from starvation and then they wrote this amazing episode where they kind of go oh well i guess the true root of famine is like a need or a want or like a, a void inside you it's a void in your soul right like i think that that to me is the most problematic part but then the issue should have been they should have then gone oh well now his representation as someone who's starving doesn't really work and is in fact inappropriate let's redesign him now and they just didn't right but that's the thing like i i don't want to speculate about what may or may not have happened right like i don't feel super comfortable doing that um i i can only judge by what's in front of me short of hearing a story from you know the production process in which case like that will definitely uh influence how i think about it but just kind of looking at this this way you know like it's not one of those things where i'm like oh i hate supernatural because they did this the one time like it's just like i just wish they hadn't done it you know like because it just it feels off it feels off to say that like the physical representation of somebody who has something missing in their soul like uses a wheelchair you know what i mean like it's just it, but that's very exactly awkward. my point though is it's it's like again it's the cart before the horse they literally had what i think like if they were doing famine traditional an amazing character doing famine in their much more amazing interpretation a very poor character choice whether that was a choice that was consciously made and it was done in very poor taste or it was a mistake we can never know you're right but again i think if you showed me that character and it said he is famine i would go that makes perfect sense i love it in this episode with the context we're given i'm with you i don't and I think also what stings most um, is the fact that when we do meet pestilence, pestilence is not sick. <laughs> War was not particularly angry or violent by themselves, right? Like he wasn't. So I think that that's why, to me, it also stings like on a different level. That is true. The fact that the like our other interpretations don't don't or haven't also says a lot there. And again, like they rewrote famine to make him fit the story better, kind of like Good Omens did with Pestilence. So I'll be intrigued to see how they handle Pestilence. Although I could so see Pestilence as being Bugs version 2. <laughs> you know, uh, they do sidestep that one. I'm just going to reassure you from the get-go. <laughs> Bless. Shall we see what our community has to share with us this week? This week, we have a message from Jack. And before we listen to it, we just want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, why do you think Cupid didn't feel the effects of famine for our Roadhouse patrons and coffee supporters on our Impala Talk? This is Jack 
aka C Queen Natural from TikTok, and I just wanted to say I love your podcast. And also, so I know you're not going to be getting here for like a significant amount of time, but I am really excited for when you finally get to season seven because not only is it one of my favorite seasons, I'm also specifically really curious to hear what you think about the episode season seven time for a wedding because I think it is a really good episode. And as much as I hate it, it's a good episode. Um, yeah, I was just curious to hear your thoughts about it and just generally the common theme of Sam's ability to choose for himself being stolen from him throughout the show. Uh, thank you. Oh my god, Jack, why would you do this to me? I'm so excited. <laughs> First of all, thank you for the voicemail. There is something I love about when a piece of media makes you so impassionate about it, like the fact you want us to talk about it, you're this excited about it. But as you stated yourself, it's not an episode you particularly love. You, in fact, kind of hate it. Just means that it must do something so impressionable and so powerful that I am so excited to get there. Uh, and while you did give me a few uh, crumbs to nibble on while I wait for this full course in several, uh, a year at this point, probably before we get there, if I'm doing my math right. A little less, a little less, nine months, maybe. Nine months from now, this wedding, you mentioned Sam not being able to make choices and kind of the whole destiny thing coming back. So like, is Sam being forced to marry somebody? Like, I'm so intrigued, but I really can't wait. Uh, both to get to this episode, uh, also to discuss it and be able to really share with you how I feel, uh, but also to see how Mary responds to this voicemail without spoiling me. Go. <laughs> I, I just want to, so first off, Jack, thank you so much for sending us this voicemail. It was really quite lovely. And yeah, I like, thank you for also for telling us that like, you're excited for us to get there. Like, I think that that's incredibly like encouraging for us because it's like, oh, okay. Whew. Like, Listeners are are excited for us to kind of move forward, you know, like they're not just, oh, when are you guys going to be done? <laughs> so that's nice to know. Um, and I just want to say, like, because I know that we have some listeners who are very protective of like you in terms of spoilers, but I, I feel like this didn't really give you any more spoilers than any general, like, you know, cultural osmosis that you've already experienced. So I felt confident that this was okay um, because we we've now like we do this thing where like I listen to the voicemail like five, 10 seconds in advance. And then like <laughs> I give Drew the okay. And then if there's anything I can be like, stop. So anyway, there you go. That was how we decided to go about that. I think that it's again, really interesting because we've talked about the absence of agency for Sam in this episode. And I think that that particular episode in season seven really talks about that what I resent most about that episode and the reason why I dislike it is that it's turned into a joke here. It's not a joke. Like it's really talked about very seriously, very thoughtfully and very respectfully. Whereas in that particular episode, it's, it's just not given the respect that I wish that it was. So that's, I think that's kind of where I stand. And I, I sort of hate that everything else about this episode, that episode is so incredibly funny that it's really easy to kind of lose sight of that other stuff again without without giving too much away here but yeah thank you so much for your voicemail it was really kind of you to send us uh, your thoughts one very well answered and two very good voicemail i'm very excited to hear more and get to this episode and 
I, I really hope you once once we release that episode, you send another voicemail in to kind of follow up with us on this one. Oh, and by the way, just as a little aside, um, I know that sometimes people send uh, voicemails saying like you can only li- listen to this after such episodes. That's something that we can do. I usually identify them. And then we have a couple of them actually who are identified like to listen after uh, Dark Side of the Moon <laughs> right now. Oh, I'm looking forward to those. But before we move on to Dark Side of the Moon in a few weeks, how about we go reflect and call ourselves to action? On this podcast, we've talked like so much about not assigning moral value to coping mechanisms, like advocating not to judge Dean when he uses like sex, food, work, or alcohol to cope, not judging Sam when he's using demon blood to do the same, because we basically saw that as an allegory for using drugs. And I I really stand by everything that we've said in that regard. However... I think that this episode kind of makes me called to think about when, when does your preferred coping mechanism become a greater source of issues than comfort? Like when is the coping mechanism causing more issues than the original thing you're trying to cope with? So like on a personal level, I feel called to be more in tune with like the moments where I turn to my own coping mechanisms and try to like assess the overall positive and negative that I get from that. That's a powerful one. I think that's part of what makes the the eventual spiral into what is addiction so difficult is that it no longer becomes a coping mechanism. It becomes something worse than what you were coping with. So to be able to self-identify that and take the stance to actually like figure it out and find that balance, I think is super impressive. I mean, it, we're, we're talking specifically about addiction, but I don't think it has to always do with that. I think just in general, I feel like I, again, I think that's also part of the issue too, is we tend to attribute addiction to coping mechanisms. I, as an example, I'm very fond of a nice cocktail at the end of the day, just kind of take the edge off and like relax as I go to like, you know, before bed or something that can become a slippery slope into an alcohol addiction. And it's a matter, like you said, of finding that line between when does it become, when is it a coping uh, mechanism? When is it a problem? Yeah. I, and I think that that's, that's the entire question to ask ourselves, right? Because like they're, you know, using any kind of drug recreationally has its risk and its benefits. And again, not, not assigning moral judgment to those things, but when it starts affecting your life negatively, I think that it's worth questioning the reasons why, you know, we're, we're doing those things. And I think it's just important for us to, to do that. And so I want to do that with myself. I think mine kind of ties similarly to that. Something that I do a bit of a coping mechanism is I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm I, as people have referred to it as retail therapy, I'm, uh, I, I'm one to shop when I'm feeling down. Yeah, and I have found myself not as I, I don't want I don't want to give the impression that like I've been in like a really bad like slump or something. I've just been in a decent financial state that I've been able to buy a few more things for myself. I think my call to action is to be able to almost like yours to weigh when is it a problem or when am I using it as a coping mechanism versus when am I doing it for myself? Like it's almost like 
Some days I'm shopping because I feel like shit and I need to feel better. Other days I'm like, I want to reward myself for being good. And then the problem is sometimes they kind of conflate with each other. So my rewarding myself feels like I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing because I should be addressing my problems more head on. And as I've already said, as in a previous reflection, uh, now that I finally have my medical card that showed up in the mail today, I can start looking for medical professionals, including mental health professionals. All of this to say my personal call to action this week is just to be more aware of when I'm doing something, whether I'm doing it out of a state of coping or a state of actual enjoyment. Yeah. And I think, I think Drew, like you, you, this is it, right? Like, is it, is it for, are you doing the things that you're doing for enjoyment or to fill an unfulfilled need? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's why they're coping mechanisms. But again, where is the line? I think is, is the question to ask ourselves. Like you said, it's understanding what the coping mechanism is and how it affects you. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Figuru. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira and Elle, for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Jack for their message. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Hive, TikTok, and YouTube using at Carrying Wayward. And leave us a rating and review on your podcast service of choice. And don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to carryingwayward.com. We'll be taking our usual holiday break and we'll be back with another episode on January 13th. Carry on our wayward friends.